All right, I want to welcome the kids, especially kids. It's great to have you. We're really happy that you're here. And what's going to happen is I'm going to read this passage. I'm going to ask you to do a good job listening really well. I want to point out that if you uh, need to instruct your child or you have a, a baby that needs some space, we do have a live stream room just down the hall here. You'll hear uh, audio and slides down in that room. Uh, they are also welcome to be in the service with us as well, of course. So kids, if you do a good job listening and drawing, there's going to be uh, several drawings here I'm going to ask you to do. If you do a good job and your parents think that you've done a good job, you can go to the kids' table after uh, and pick up a prize. And I just learned this morning that if you are um, in the core Sunday school class, right, which is what ages again? fifth through eighth grade, and you can connect something in the sermon to what you've been learning in that class, you will also get a prize next week. If you are in fifth to eighth grade but not a part of the Sunday school class, please talk to me. I'd love to help get you connected. There is fantastic things going on there. But without further ado, can we all listen now with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love. The reading today comes from Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 through 28. Hear now these words. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its, heads, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning." Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened, 
From the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, and all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads in worship. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, and I recognize uh, that as we come here, we no doubt come from all sorts of different places. Some of us have come in here and our lives uh, and our hearts are full. Uh, Things in our uh, circumstances are good. We have more than enough. Our families are well. Our bodies feel good. And Lord, I recognize, though, that that's not true for all of us. Some of us come in here and we've been in physical pain. Some of us have been in emotional anguish. Some of us, our families are a wreck. And Lord, I recognize further that others of us come in here and we've believed in you for a long time. We believe in you now. We wait with expectation for what you will say to us in this word and in the Lord's table to follow. And Lord, some of us, though, are here, and we're not sure what we think about you. We're not sure if you're real, and if you are, if you're good. And we're not sure whether the words that will about to be spoken will have any bearing on the things that matter most to us. I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we are in joy or despair, whether we come with faith or with many doubts, pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we ultimately come the same, with an overwhelming an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, good morning and welcome, kids. I want to ask the kids a question. How many of you kids like Play-Doh? Okay, 
Next, I want to know, how many of you parents like Play-Doh? Okay, there's actually more parents. How many of you parents like to clean up Play-Doh? That dries. <laughs> you go, good job, Jeff. What a great, what a great dad Roman has. All right. Um, so, yeah, what do you do with Play-Doh? Do any of the kids can tell me what you do with it? Yes, Piper. You sculpture it, that's right. And you take what comes in the form of a cylinder, right? And then you shape it. What's the best thing that you've ever made? A heart? Sorry? A rhombus? What? You don't remember. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah, so I've seen some kids make some pretty cool uh, sculptures uh, from clay or from Play-Doh. And so, kids, what I want you to do is, this is going to be connected to the sermon, I want you to draw yourself enjoying Play-Doh, okay, making something. I want you to draw your parent also enjoying you playing with Play-Doh, just in case they don't at home. Okay, go ahead and do that. You can make it multicolors, and we'll come back to uh, this in a moment. Friends, the sermon series that we're uh, in right now is called uh, Becoming Reacquainted with the Power of God. The title is With a Mighty Hand, Becoming Reacquainted with the Power of God. And we use this language on purpose of becoming reacquainted with God's power because the Bible tells us and our lives illustrate for us that even if you have an encounter with God's power, some of you may be sitting here saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's okay. right? But, but there are folks in this room who have had an experience that can only be described with the language of using God's power, that prayers have been raised for things that are extremely specific, and then God answers those prayers in a powerful way. Sometimes for things that are really big and really important in our lives. Other times for things that might seem really small, but nonetheless are miraculous. I can remember one time in my life, I was out at a, a model airplane festival, and this field was a mile long. And behind the field was a mile of soybeans. And uh, we, we had about 75 planes in the air at, at sundown. And I thought I was watching my plane fly when in reality I was watching someone else's plane fly. <laughs> and um, I couldn't, I, mine crashed and I had no idea where it was. And then someone comes up and they were walking with it. And, they said, and I said, wow, that's great, that's mine. I said, where's the battery? I have no idea, I just found this plane. So I really wanted this battery back. I went out into this mile long, it's not an exaggeration, mile of soybeans. And I had a general idea of where the plane had crashed. And I prayed. I said, God, I really want these batteries back. I know this isn't like a big deal in the kingdom of God. Right? We had this talk. I said, but it would really bless me if we could have these back. I looked for about 30 minutes, and then I gave up. And I started walking back, and all of a sudden, I looked down, and I just see them right in front, literally right in front of my feet. I was going to step on them. A mile of soybeans, right? And I, I'll tell you that because, it's a, you know, in the, in the scheme of uh, the kingdom of God, it may not uh, matter a whole lot, Right? But that was an experience I had with God's power. And at our staff meeting, we likewise shared uh, things in our lives or in our church that we've prayed for and that we've seen God provided, provide for. But yet, I title this sermon Becoming Reacquainted with the Power of God because there's a dynamic that we experience, which is that even if you have, right, for those of you who have had experiences with God's power, or for those of you who haven't, if you do one day experience 
a miraculous answer to prayer, I can pretty much assure you that after a little bit of time has gone by, you'll probably forget about it. And the next time you need God's power, you will be like me, and you will pray with very little faith. Right? It's just a pattern that I've observed in my own life, is portrayed over and over and over again in the Scriptures, and one that I have seen in your lives as well. And so we've titled this series, Becoming Reacquainted with the Power of God, because we learn that when you experience the power of God, unless you have forces in your life that are reminding you of it, that are, dare I say, shaping you, it's pretty much a given that after a little bit of time, it doesn't have to be a lot, by the way, uh, you will forget about it, and the next time you need God's power, you will act as though it does not exist. There's a quote that I think is helpful. Uh, this comes from James Smith. He says this, he says, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. This is because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which, as we've observed, are habits we've acquired through the practices we're immersed in. That means that the formation of my loves and desires can be happening, quote, under the hood of consciousness. I might be learning to love something that I'm not even aware of and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. And this is a fantastic insight. Um, what this author is telling us is that the practices that you keep, right, the daily habits that you have, those don't only have an impact on the time that you spend on them in the morning, let's say, or in the evening, but they actually shape you like these kids are drawing the clay being shaped, the clay being shaped. They shape you for the future. And it's no surprise, therefore, if that's true, and I believe that it is, that God gives us certain practices that we are to follow for the purpose of our lives being shaped by them. Right? You see, if we're shaped by the habits we keep, if we're shaped by the practices that we repeat, then it's no surprise that God would have something to say about that. It's no surprise that He would prescribe for us practices that will shape us. And uh, this passage, as a part of our series here, concerns one of the most important practices that the people of Israel uh, would be instructed to keep. And this morning, if, uh, if you missed the offering, which was wonderful, by the way, uh, we are going to be doing a special baptism of Greta Fretz. Uh, they were not available on our last covenant entrance day, so we'll be baptizing her. And as I prepared the sermon, one of the questions that I asked is this. Where's Mark and Deb? Are they even, are they in the room? They're not. Okay. I asked this question. I'll ask it of grandparents. What forces will Greta be shaped by? What kinds of habits will take place in her life? What kinds of environment will her parents uh, set for her that will shape her? You can see that God is very concerned about His people instituting certain practices for the purpose of them being shaped. And so He gives this one that is referred to as the Passover. And this one is absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? Um, he tells His people, for example, He says that this Passover is to begin the calendar. 
right? And you know that an event qualifies as a big time event if your calendar resets, right? If it's never happened in, in my life or even in our um, current calendar that I can remember, but it happened here. God tells his people, he says, this shall be the beginning of the year for you when you observe this feast. And so I want to look at uh, the story of the Passover and the meaning of the Passover. So kids, what I want you to do now, if you uh, did the drawing, is I want you to draw something else. And we have a very special treat for you today because Ironworks Church embraces the arts, okay? And we have a visiting guest artist who has... Uh, provided some sample drawings that might inspire you, and that is none other than Miss Ruby Gale has uh, performed the remaining three of these drawings, so we're going to put hers up. The first is a family eating dinner with a walking staff in hand. So there's Ruby's artwork, right, to inspire you. You can leave that up uh, as we go through this point, right? So what happens is, is that the people of Israel were instructed to effectively recreate the night of the Passover, right? So they had been suffering for many years. They had watched God perform miracle after miracle after miracle to the Egyptians. They had watched the Egyptians in every case only dig in their heels. They were unwilling to submit to Israel's God. They were unwilling to let Israel go. But then that would all change after this last plague. After this last act of God, the Egyptians would not only allow the people of Israel to go, but they would send them out in haste. And so what happens is the people of Israel are all told, eat your dinner, dressed for this journey with your staff in hand. There is no time to let the bread rise, and so the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, is part of their story. And what's happening is that God really wants this group of people, to remember the night of the Passover. and he, Not just those who experience it, but he explicitly says, this shall be for all generations. Now, there's a little problem with this, okay? And I want to be, be up front with you about it. There's a little problem that some of you may have felt, others of you may have ignored, and that's this. The centerpiece of this practice, okay? The centerpiece of this practice has at its core blood, right? The centerpiece of this practice, you know, we, we observe the bread and, um, you know, if you go to a Seder dinner, you'll experience some cool things, right? But when you read the scripture, the centerpiece of this entire memory would be on blood, right? And it's, if, if you've grown up in the church, you're like, yeah, Darren, this is not novel, right? We know this already. But I want you to pause for a second and realize Right? That if you have friends in your life who have not grown up in the church and they hear you talking about this, or if you were to actually recreate this, they would probably call the police. Right? Like I'm just saying, if you go home today and you like, you know, kill a squirrel under your porch and you just put the blood on all over your door, like chances are high, <laughs> you know, you might spend a night in prison. And, but I will visit you. Okay? <laughs> all right? So... We, we don't want to mess, we don't want to go past the reality that this would be a very strange thing, right? It would be unsanitary, I would think. Uh, it would be strange. Um, I'm not recommending that you literally recreate this. But see, more than that, friends, 
More than that, I think that it would be extremely disturbing. Right? More than the weirdness of it, I think that it would be extremely disturbing. Because in this last plague, as Pharaoh is relentless over and over and over and over again, where he says, no, I will not listen. No, I will not submit. Who are you that I would do as you ask? Over and over and over again. God gives him chance after chance after chance after chance. Finally, the last plague that occurs is the plague of the firstborn. And the Scripture tells us uh, that there was loud cries and shrieks heard throughout all Egypt. It says, and there was a great cry, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And friends, I think that if we're honest, if we can consider what's actually happening, that ought to disturb us. Right? That ought to disturb us. Of course, the lamb functions as a sign that would be placed on the door. And the Scripture says that when the destroyer comes, if the blood is on the door, the destroyer will pass over that house and go to the next. And there's a couple things I want to point out about this. The first is that, you know, while this might seem uh, really unfair to you, I want to point out a couple of things. The first is this. Pharaoh himself, uh, in the early pages of the book of Exodus, as you might remember, instituted a kind of genocide of the Israelite children. It's the first thing. The second thing is, is that Pharaoh and Egypt were given every single opportunity plus some to submit to God, and they did not. But thirdly, and I think this one is probably for me the most helpful, right? what I think the Scripture is bringing out for us, it uses this language of the destroyer. It says the Lord will not allow the destroyer to enter the house when he sees the blood. And I think that to some extent what is being conveyed is this, and this is a reality that, that you all know, that our lives, our world, no matter what you believe, no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances are, our lives do have encounters with what, what we might call the destroyer. Right? Has anyone experienced something that they would appropriately call the destroyer? Right? Maybe you've lost function in part of your body. Maybe you've lost a relationship that matters deeply to you. Maybe you've lost your job. Right? Maybe you've lost something very dear and very close. Every single one of you, though, I would dare say, has had an experience with the destroyer, with a destroyer of some kind. And to some extent, what I think is being pointed out in the events that take place is this, that the destroyer comes, he comes in the world, and he has no respect for your race, for your uh, wealth, for your social status, or even, dare I say, for the morals and ethics you keep. But he comes for all. And what this meal would remind the people of Israel of is that there was a way to somehow undo the path of the destroyer for your home, and that way centers on the blood of a spotless lamb. So what I want you kids to do now is, now that you've drawn your uh, dinner here, I want you to draw a really beautiful lamb. So we have an example drawing from our guest artist today. 
of a beautiful lamb. That's uh, there on the evening, probably of Passover. Okay, so this is where we are, right? We are in a world of destroyers. We are in a world of decay. And I wonder, as we think about this, I wonder what kinds of strategies you employ today to deal with the destroyer in your life. What kinds of strategies are you presently employing to avoid the destroyer? Right? And there are entire industries, by the way, built on this very notion. Right? So if you look at, uh, for example, natural health or even regular medical health, I don't know what the word is, um, right? To a large extent, these industries are built on the notion that the destroyer can somehow be avoided if you just take this product, or if you just live life this way, right? And to some extent, there's good things there. I don't, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying that a lot of our lives are built around strategies to avoid the destroyer. And just like myself, as I had experienced God's power, and then a little bit of time goes by, and I have a need, I have a crisis, I have something that I desperately want to see God do, and about the tenth place I turn is to His power, it demonstrates that our lives need to be shaped and anchored in such a way that we are continually reminded of the only thing that can keep the destroyer at bay. And this practice tells us that that thing is the beautiful, spotless, precious Lamb of God. Uh, Tim Keller, pastor uh, and author Tim Keller, very helpful, observes that the Lamb of God actually sort of peeks out throughout Scripture in, in a whole bunch of different places, right? If you read the Bible from Genesis to Exodus, periodically you'll start to see reference to a Lamb that has the ability to keep the destroyer at bay. So, for example, uh, in the story of Abraham, if you recall, Abraham is tested, his faith is tested. He says, you know, take your only son, the one that I promised you, take him up the mountain, right, and offer him as a sacrifice. And he's going with his son up the mountain. And his son is a very bright young man. His dad, just checking, we have the knife, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where's the lamb, dad? Right? What does Abraham say without flinching? He says, my son, God will provide the lamb. Fast forward a little bit. we we'll see the lamb reappear here. We'll see the lamb reappear throughout uh, teaching of the law. And then all the way into the New Testament, uh, as, the, uh, as the baptizer, John the Baptist, is baptizing and he's trying to teach his disciples about Jesus Christ, what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so throughout Scripture, we see the Lamb as shown as the one who can keep the destroyer at bay. And by a profound surprise, as the Messiah of Israel, the one who would rescue Israel himself, the one who would then be declared to be God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel, the one hoped for and longed for throughout the entirety of Israel's history, the one pointed to in the Passover, would step foot on this earth, and the baptizer would look at him and said, he's the lamb. He's the one. He's the one that can keep the destroyer at bay. 
And not simply by raw display of power, but actually in a profound display of weakness. As he allows his enemies to have their way with him, he gives up his soul unto death. And through that offering, the blood of the Lamb can keep the destroyer at bay for all who would trust in him. And so friends, as we consider uh, these practices, as we consider uh, our story, what I want to do is ask the kids uh, to turn to, to a new drawing. This is our final drawing. I want you to draw yourself next to a cross, and I want to draw a big smile on your face because what we're finding is that coming close to the Lamb is the strategy that can keep the destroyer at bay, that can keep him far removed. And as we consider this teaching, I want to ask you, what are you being shaped by this day? What, are you, what is your life being shaped by? If we take that quote at the beginning of the sermon, right, that our daily habits reveal our deepest loves, right, what are your deepest loves? What are you being shaped by? Have you forgotten about the power of God? Do you need a change in practices to bring you back to Him? We're going to turn our attention to the baptism of Greta Fretz here in a moment. And as we do, uh, we're going to uh, be baptizing her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as this baptism is given to her, what God is saying is He's saying, Greta, I make a covenant with you whereby I will be your God and you will belong to me if you respond in faith and repentance. And as that covenant is given to her, it is designed by God's plan to shape her the entirety of her life. For example, when she gets to be about 12 and she realizes that she has not been honest with her parents, right, or that she has not been faithful to do the things that she's supposed to do and she wants to run and hide uh, from the voice of God, this baptism is intended to say to her, you belong to me not because of anything you've done, but because of my good grace purchased by this Lamb. And friends, I wonder, um, as we ask this question, you know, what is shaping you? Right? God has given us these practices, we call them sacraments, uh, baptism and the Lord's table, to remind us on a regular basis of who God is, who we are, and why we need Him. And it's one reason that I am passionate to see each and every one of you in church every week. Because I will tell you that I have already forgotten last week's communion I'm just telling you, I've already forgotten last week's communion where I was reminded that Jesus loves me so much that he would allow his own body to be broken for me. I've already forgotten that. And I'm going to be reminded of it today, and so are you. And uh, dear Mark and Deb and family, as you consider uh, how to raise Greta, my exhortation to you is that you would raise her making use of God's practices and seeing that her desires are shaped in such a way that she deeply values the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. Let's pray together.